It's the summer edition. Welcome to the summer edition across the Resonate Network. And it's all thanks to the Australian Mung Bean Association. Big show coming up today. And as always, the boys, they're in the studio in Longreach. Nick Backstrom and Scott Parkinson. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Watsy. Good afternoon, lads. How are we all? (laughs) Yeah, very well, mate. Um, Obviously, the test cricket into day two. Boys, just get your thoughts uh, quickly on the day-night uh, test. I actually don't mind it. I think it adds a bit more emphasis. I think it's a better way to get crowds in, particularly when everyone's still at work at the moment. I mean, you know, I know most people work nine till five. Um, teachers may be a bit shorter. Some teachers a bit longer. <laughs> but, you know, I think you can still get there after work and see a considerable amount of play as opposed to finishing work at five and only catching the last hour of play. Nick, what do you reckon? Yeah, no, I'm with you, I think, uh, particularly this day and age. And you've got to have... Yeah, people haven't got five times five days to sit at the test anymore unless they're retired or very young. And um, so I reckon it's a great way to get the crowds back in, and also less heat uh, on the uh, summer days. And I smell. Speaking of heat, Watsy, you put a fair bit of heat on Dave Warner um, to perform in this series against Pakistan. Well, he played extremely well in the first test, and he's on forty-five. He's probably going to go further than that. He's played extremely well, forty-five on day one, and still building on day two. Yeah, look, it was a series that he needed to perform in, boys, and there was no doubt he was going to do it on these flat tracks here in Australia. He is a flat track bully after all, but he's the kind of guy that we need in Test cricket, as is Steve Smith. They're the big game players, but they're the players that draw a crowd and love to watch, and and with the poor crowds at uh, the Gabba, I was only going to say Doombin there for a moment, (laughs) in the first (laughs) set. That's where they all were. (laughs) (laughs) That's where they all were. Um... Speaking of Dermot, I'll get to that in a minute. But, uh, you know, they, they're the kind of blokes that, that draw a crowd and, and uh, their crowd pleases. Which leads me to our next question, talking about the wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Chris Lynn, we touched on it last week, um, scoring 93 and 30-odd balls in this T10. Has that got legs? Uh, look, I don't know. Um, obviously, they're giving it a go. And if crowds turn up, crowds turn up. I just think it's going to be more and more discouraging to bowlers. That's my worry, is that we all go, oh, look at the big hits, look at the big hits. You go... Where are the kids going to be bothering bowling to that? Tell you what, if Longreach have a T10 instead of a T20, sign me up. (laughs) Keen as mustard. T5. I'm I'm up here in Townsville, um, and the town's a buzz. Not only are they all out searching for Wade Chiesa, who's still missing in action after six weeks. Where's Wade? Where's Wade? But they're all talking Valentine Holmes, and uh, we do check in with the Cowboys shortly. But first up... Uh, today, Pam O'Neill, a great guest, Scott. Yeah, great friend of the show too, Pam O'Neill, a real pioneer. We talk about women's sport, which has just gone leaps and bounds recently. And, and one of the great, not just female jockeys, but the jockeys in Australian history. And, and she just tells some fascinating stories about how it was for her uh, back when she first started. And, geez, you can't help but be passionate. And also gives her view on a bit of controversy in racing. Yeah, we talk about the um, Linda Meach and Michelle Payne and uh, very interesting thoughts there. Nick, Dan Russell, a uh, friend of the show. He's a boy <laughs> born in Longreach, uh, grew up in Emerald and now in the Cowboys system. Loves a bacon sandwich. He does, apparently. Uh, it's not the recommended warm-up by most dietitians, but look at the bloke. He's got a, an enviable rig, let's say that. And uh, he's very much looking forward to the Cowboys season 2020. Scott, uh, yourself and Nick uh, yesterday caught up with the great Andre Moore. Andre Moore, yeah, came to Australia in the late 80s, early 90s when, you know, we took about the NBL. It was just going gangbusters back then. Um, a very imposing figure still is. Um, very <laughs> tall man. And I tell you what, you can't help but love the guy's enthusiasm. He gives us his thoughts on what it was like playing in the NBL back in his day and he compares it to the NBL now. And 
the NBL in those days, Scott, it was in line when the NBA was flying as well too, wasn't And we've spoken about this off air quite some, at some length, and Andrew Gaze, Shane Heal and the like in those days. But we had the great Luke Longley going in the NBA. Would Luke Longley make it today? It's a good question. I think in today's NBA, he probably actually would. I mean, the game is all about finesse now. Um, it's not so much about a big physical body. And, and Luke Longley, to be fair, he had a bit of an outside shot on him. He was actually probably a prototypical um, NBA player. And I'll tell you what, if Andrew Gaze uh, was around now, he'd be an NBA All-Star. And uh, Nick, uh, we catch up with uh, former coach of the Brisbane Broncos and also the Penrith Panthers, Anthony Griffin, for a two-part interview. Yeah, he's probably had a bit of an unfair trot, uh, Anthony Griffin, but uh, he still loves his rugby league. He's had a great success this year with the uh, Papi New Guinea side. Uh, the Tonga. Tonga. Tonga, sorry. Yeah, great success. So uh, certainly he's still got the uh, nous. And uh, yeah, great to chat about rugby league with. And also, too, I think he goes in a bit, bit of depth about the, uh, the Queensland sides and, mm. and I guess what Queensland fans can expect moving forward. Mm. And Scott, we've spoken about this in local radio quite some length as well. And I think he had the Brisbane Broncos on the right track before he got uh, exited for uh, Wayne Bennett. He made some wholesale changes and he put the broom through. But that was just for Bennett to come in and redo it all again. I think it set them back a couple of years. I couldn't agree more. I think once you moved on from Wayne Bennett or once you moved Wayne Bennett on, it was such a detrimental idea to go back. I mean, it brought us a bit of immediate success. They went to the 20... I say we. I didn't play the side. I wasn't there. <laughs> but it got us to the 2015 grand final. But yeah, I completely agree, Watsy. We kind of went back to the future. And I think now the Broncos are trying to build back up again to what hook got them to. Right across regional Queensland. For it's SB, the summer edition. Heard across the Resonate Network. And uh, you can hear us through 4SB, 4ZR, 4LG. Scott Parkinson. Now, we've got a very special guest on the line. Oh, one of our favourites. One of our favourites. And, and we're going to talk women in sport. And uh, no better person to talk to than the pioneer uh, in her chosen profession, uh, a jockey, uh, Pam O'Neill. Good afternoon and welcome to the Summer Edition. Good afternoon and hope everyone's well out there. Pam, first of all, you know, it's a pretty broad sort of question, but um, the, the, how much it has improved the, the women in sport, the product... The, the exposure, you know, just tell us a bit about your journey and, and to what it is today. Well, my journey um, is, was that I used to have to get changed in the uh, casualty room or in a caravan when I first started. <laughs> the penthouse. The penthouse, that's right, the penthouse, the only penthouse I'll ever have. <laughs> and, um, and not only that, the girls are getting a fair enough go, uh, now I know with their allowance and that, and they seem to be getting more rides in town when they lose their allowance. So I think it's coming a long way. And when you think of it, it's getting close to, I think, 60% of girls than, than males. Yeah. And uh, you, you actually uh, awarded the uh, Country Apprentice of the Year, Emma Bell, uh, at, the Queens, at the Racing Queensland Awards this year. And uh, uh, it'd be great for you to know she uh, rode four of the five winners at Clermont on Saturday. Oh, that's good. She's, and she's a lovely girl. She's a very nice girl that you know, I suppose, out there. But yeah. she, she's lovely and she conducts herself very well. Yeah. Hey, Pam, you talked before about having to get change in the in the caravan or the penthouse, as we like to call it. Pam, who was enforcing that rule? Was that a race in Queensland or was that, you know, why, why was it like that? Well, there was no facilities. See, like when I first started, there was nothing there for uh, lady jockeys or anything like, um, like you, you, you're thinking about 1979 and... Everything was male, you know, yep. and uh, they gradually started 
started to change the facilities, well, now the girls' rooms is equal as what the what the males are now. And so they should but, be. But Pam, what about the jockeys themselves? How were you treated by the male jockeys at the time? Me, I had no problem with them. I uh, maybe because I've been around for so long and I've been <laughs> riding work, and uh, and I'm not shooting off my own trumpet. I used to be able to handle horses pullers better than some a lot of the males. And um, whether I got the respect from them from there, but uh, no, they've always treated me with respect. That's all I can say. Now, Pam, there was a bit of a stink during the uh, Spring Carnival this year of the, uh, sorry, I'm shocked with names, uh, one of the female... Linda jockey, Beach. Yeah, being pulled off a horse and uh, pulled off a ride, I should say, for a male jockey. The argument, of course, was the male jockey was the best jockey available, and that's the the the, uh, the owner's right. She and uh, Michelle Payne said it was uh, more of a sexist thing. How did you feel about that when you saw it happen? Well, as a matter of fact, I got a bit upset over it. Mm-hmm. I think there's, there's a lot of male jockeys get taken off horses, and that and that's not blowing up. These girls can't carry on with this sexism. They're an equal, and if they uh, can't take get taking off a horse, and I really don't think Linda's a lot like that. I think she was half baited to comment right, on, yeah. on on the ride, but I think. Um, you know, it happens to the males as well, and I think they've got to stop this. You yeah. know, it's um, you're out there doing the same job as a male. If they, if the owner wants to change riders, well, they're entitled to change riders. They're paying the money. And, I, and I, I've never actually met Linda myself either, Pam, but I was a bit shocked with her comments after a post-race uh, victory. Uh, at a midweeks, you know, suggesting she hoped the horse got beaten, lost, and and had some had a dig at the owner. I mean, in in the whole scheme of things, it's only one ride, isn't it? You've got to look at the future, and you've got to um, just just show a bit of you know sportsmanship and move on. Well, I, I well I think you have. Like I used to ride a horse called Breakfast Creek, and I won <laughs> the first three out of four on him. And when he ran second, I was on him, and they said they wanted to put a male rider on him. Well, I still rode the horse. I still um, I took the horse to Sydney for the slipper, rode him work and everything, and I got paid a sling. Well, if you, you've got to bite your tongue a little bit in this game because a lot of owners got a lot of horses, and if you upset them, you won't get back on them. Exactly. You know? No, it's and a fair point. You, but- can't, you can't cry, as I said, sexism when, when it suits you. Pam, obviously we... You know, we touched on Emma Bell, and you've inspired a whole generation. I mean, you were the pioneer for female jockeys going forward. But, you know, growing up, who did you look up to and who kind of inspired you to get involved and, and to keep your fight alive to actually, you know, become the first female jockey um, going around? Well, who inspired me was the horses. I loved the animal and I wanted to do it and I wanted to ride. And when that barrier was put up that women couldn't participate in, in uh, races... Well, that inspired me all the more because I, <laughs> I always say that I think I was put on this earth uh, to change the rules in racing and uh, that's, well, that was my achievement. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it, it was like when you look back, it, it was a big step, but I was there at the right time and somebody else might have done it later on, you know. And um, looking forward, coming forward all the way to 2019 and looking forward to 2020, Pam, you've still got a a large involvement in racing, and obviously uh, the boys here and myself will be looking forward to meeting you at the On The Bit Country Awards in February in Emerald. Yes, I'm looking forward to coming out. I think it'll be a great night, and um, 
before before we say anything else, you know that at the time when I got my licence, and I was a fully fledged as well, they didn't put me in as an apprentice, that the girls were paid the same as males. So yeah. they had equal rights then oh, in, in well. pay-wise. So that was a big achievement mm. too, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, I'm looking forward to coming out on, on February here. Uh, Got me flight booked and I'm ready to go. <laughs> it's a true um, your travelling partner, Ruby Cow, and she said you're coming up uh, Thursday so you can get your hair done. Wait <laughs> <laughs> till I get a hold of that, Ruby. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the National Jockeys Trust, uh, Pam, your involvement there? Yes, I'm. I'm uh, well, the National Jockeys Trust is a, is uh, uh, there to help um, injured jockeys and. Um, and if they're going through hard times, and uh, I've been involved with that. See, in our states, if a jockey is injured and he puts into the trust or he needs help, they run it past me first, and I look at it and check it out and, and say, yeah, he needs the help, you know, and, and uh, very heavily involved in it as much as I we can, you know. It's great to see Ty Angland um, out and about now as well after his um, shocking fall. Oh, he's, he's, he's uh, I think he's going well, you know, like, I, I don't know the full extent of his injuries, but I think a lot of those is a lot of bruising and that's all got to come out and, and, and things might develop further down the track, you know. Yep. But, I, I, but he, I was watching him on the interview, I think, over the Winter Carnival in Melbourne and yep. it was lovely to see him there. Pam O'Neill. A lot of people are rallied around him, really. Yeah. Pam O'Neill, thanks very much for your time this afternoon and contribution to the summer edition and uh, looking forward to the On The Bit Country Racing Awards in Emerald, February 8. Yes, I'm looking forward to it and uh, I think we've had a tame one this for the summer interview. Yeah. <laughs> we'll release yeah. the uncut version next week. <laughs> thanks, Pam. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. <laughs> It's the summer edition heard on the Resonate Network through 4HI Emerald, 4LG Longreach. And we're doing a lot of talking, uh, boys, at the moment about the NRL. There's a lot of movement, and the big signing over the past seven days has to be Valentine Holmes to the Cowboys. Well, it is, Watson. I mean, one of the most improved clubs in 2020 will be the Cowboys, and we're joined by one of them this afternoon. Dan Russell, uh, good afternoon. Afternoon, fellas. How are you doing? Good. Uh, first of all, mate, uh, what's uh, the feel around the Cowboys now after the big signing? Um, yeah, you know, Valentine Hodes, anyone would want him, mate. Massive lift. Um, yeah, it's going to be huge for the club, mate, and we're looking yeah, looking forward to the new season. Dan, you're in pretty good shape yourself. You don't have an NFL career in the future for you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think I'm quick as him, mate. Um, I'll just think I'll stick to the, to the rugby league, mate. And, Dan, we're about oh, two or three weeks out from Christmas, so what's it look like for you at the moment? I'm guessing it's pre-season. Um, is that where you're up to at the moment? A lot of weights, a lot of running? Yeah, mate, pre-season, I've just returned um, this week, actually. The boys started on the 4th, um, but um, yeah, mate, pretty much straight into a lot of running. You don't see the footy much um, before Christmas. A lot of running, gym work, just to get that fitness up, but um, once that um, Christmas comes around, mate, yeah, we'll see a lot more footy and yeah, get into that team team stuff. Hey, mate, uh, you were born out here in the Central West in Longreach before heading to Emerald, but uh, over the past month or so, you... Uh Made an appearance for the PNG in the in the World Nines. Yeah, um, yeah. Dad was born in Moresby, mate, and it was obviously a huge honour. Um, yeah, to get selected in that. Um, you know, I didn't expect it to be honest, but yeah, huge honour, and yeah, it was a great um, 
yeah, great weekend. Dan, when they talk about, you know, nines or, I mean, we just had our local sevens comp, what's the ideal body type for a nines player? Like, I'm guessing you don't want your big props, but a, like a second row build would be perfect? Yeah, definitely. Um, well, props these days, geez, they play like, you know, halves. So um, these days wouldn't matter. But yeah, you want that, I suppose, bigger body that's got a, a bit of um, ball skill and, um, and you know, can move quite quickly, I suppose, um, as it's, you know, a lot of room to move. But yeah, um, these days, I think, yeah, about anyone could play in the NRL. What's he's put his hand up for a jersey? <laughs> no, I was about to say, <laughs> Dave Taylor was the pioneer of that, wasn't he? <laughs> hey, mate, so where do you see yourself fitting in uh, the Cowboys this year? Um, it's another great squad. Um, I moved to the top 30 next year, which is obviously huge for myself. So, um, yeah, it, it's going to be, um, I suppose it's going to be a hard decision for Greeny to pick this side. Um, but I hope, you know, yeah, sometime during the year I, I make my debut. But, yeah, no one really knows at the moment. So just got to keep training hard and hope for the best. Dan, this is Nick. We've been talking a bit on our show about, uh, you know, preparation for games and so on. According to your blurb on the Cowboys' website... Your pre-show uh, meal is bacon sandwiches. Um, I don't know what the dietitians make of that. <laughs> well, my, my um, metabolism's quite good, so they don't have too much to say about that. But um, I think for a couple of forwards there, they wouldn't be too happy about that. <laughs> I'll tell you what, as Parker always says, he's got a pretty good rig. I saw him at Mackay earlier this year, so he can be able to slip in a few more bacon sandwiches than I would. I've been eating a few bacon sandwiches, doesn't help. Another member of the 4LG calendar that's getting shot uh, early in next year. Hey, um, Dan, Paul Green, obviously he's a legend of a coach. He won a few premierships at Wynnum. He's won a premiership with the Cowboys. How are you finding him? Yeah, mate, I, yeah, I like him, mate. Um, good, he's a listener of the show, so that's good you've said positive words. <laughs> no, mate, I've learned a lot off him and I've got a lot more to learn um, from him, mate. I think he's fantastic and I think, um, yeah, the Cowboys are going to do... Um, yeah, they're going to have a great year Yeah, next year. And, Dan, obviously last year, I mean, the only word you can say about the Cowboys last year was disappointing. I mean, you had, you know, injuries were a big part of that. Is the preseason tougher now after coming off a disappointing year? Like, have a few of the guys that have been that set up, have they noticed that as well? Um, it, it was probably a hardest, well, not, well, it's my first year last year, um, yeah. preseason, but a lot of the boys saying that was the hardest. Um, but, yeah, mate, to be honest, it's actually, they've changed a lot. Um from last year, which is probably a good thing, a bit of change, um, but it's still obviously full on. But I think it's going to yeah put us in a great, um, a great step forward for the new season. Now we we talked to a lot of uh, NRL players, the likes of Kurt Mann and Adrian Vowles of such, and, and uh, obviously if you're from Emerald, how much of your success do you attribute to your early days of, of football uh, growing up in the bush? Um, well, yeah, being I suppose they, you know they're all called tough out there, but. Um, I suppose playing from such a young age um, and I kept at it, um, which obviously helps a lot. But, yeah, I think, yeah, Bush kids, they're, they're good, just tough footballer and, um, you know, they're not plays about too much. But I think that's, yeah, just being an Emerald and um, playing since such a young age has, yeah, definitely got me got me to our today. Now, Dan, I've always considered myself to have a lot of talent, but I um, actually don't. <laughs> but as someone who is talented, like, when do you know that you've actually got a potential future in rugby league? Do you get a, you know, a scholarship? Is it someone has a conversation? Like, when do you know that you can actually make a future of it? Um, well, I suppose you just keep playing and, as long as you love it. And I was just playing in school and, you know, I was enjoying it and I had a good bunch of mates at school. And yeah, it's just at Compro one year and... Um, I suppose, you, you know, you don't, you don't think you're good enough at anything, I suppose. You're just playing it for the fun of it. And actually, yeah, a bit of interest um, you know, in 2013. And that's how it all started. So, and I thought, oh, I might, you know, take this as far as I can. So, I suppose, yeah, just, you never know. And you just got to keep playing and enjoying it. And hopefully, um, 
Unless you're Valentine Ains, you probably know when you're young. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, that, that'd definitely be it. Now, Dan, I'm fascinated by this blurb on the uh, Cowboys <laughs> website. He does research, does Nick? Because I never thought I'd have much in common with an NRL uh, professional. No offence, you know, different paths. But I see your favourite movie is Jurassic World. That's close to Jurassic Park, but not quite. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like them all. That's just a new one. But oh, I, fair enough. I, um, I got the set when I was a young fellow. Oh, actually, yeah. um, I think it is, was in Longridge, um, the DVDs are... Jurassic um, Park, and then, yeah, obviously the world's come out the last few years, but, yeah, love those dinosaurs. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> be a bit different to uh, Parko's favourite film, Shaving Ryan's Privates. <laughs> <laughs> the sequel's better. <laughs> hey, um, Dan, now we did we did mention the rig, and you're obviously in fine shape, and I know one of the options is going to be bacon, but, mate, we asked some of our guests, what's your ideal thing? We are the summer edition. One thing we all love to do in summer is to throw a bit of food Onto a barbecue, mate. If we asked you for your top three things to throw on a barbecue, apart from bacon, what would go on there? Sausages, chops, and steak. What oh, a great man! And straight off the cup, washed it down with some with a, a long neck Anthony Maroon and some coleslaw. <laughs> <laughs> Dan Russell, thanks very much for your time, and I hope we can catch up again uh, before the start of the NRL season. Yeah, that'd be great. Thanks again, fellas. Thanks, mate. It's the summer edition across the Resonate Network. 4VL, 4ZR, 4HI, 4LM, 4GC, 4LG, 4SB and Hot Country. And Scott Parkinson, I know how much you love your basketball and you've got to be very excited with our next guest. Oh, I tell you what, I mean, a few times on this show I've said that the NBL now is reminding me of the glory years back in the late 80s, early 90s. Mm. And I thought, who's going to know it better than an absolute star of that, that NBL period? We've got NBL legend Andre Moore on the phone. Andre, how are you, mate? I'm great. How you doing, Scott? Nick, how you doing, boys? Yeah, going, Thanks, going really well. So, Andre, you played in what I would consider the glory years of Australian basketball. Mate, what was it like playing in those 90s? Like, the crowds were amazing. Uh, you enjoyed that experience? It was a great, great experience, man. I, 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 it was it was beyond my expectations when I arrived here from from uh, Chicago. I, you know, prior to coming here, I knew nothing about Australia. I remember... I remember um, when I was playing the CBA after my 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 stint in the NBA, I was playing the CBA in uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, with um, Mike Bibby, who you know a lot of NBA fans might know for, uh, play play with uh, San, um, Sacramento, I think it was yep. the Kings. Yeah, Mike Bibby, his his dad coached me in the uh, CBA right prior to me coming to Australia. So when my when the Bullets came over to America to um, have a look at another import, another big guy that they were they were interested in. My team just happened to be in town playing against that, that, that particular guy's team, and we, we flogged them pretty bad, to, to say the least. <laughs> we, had, we had a really good game. I played particularly well, and unbeknownst to me, the, uh, the Brisbane Bullets guy, um, uh, Curly, and his, um, his staff were, had turned their attention away from this, this other guy to me. <laughs> so my coach, after the, after the game, comes up to me and is like, hey, some guys out in I understand from a from Australia, from a place called Brisbane. <laughs> <laughs> like, they're very interested in you coming over there to play. I'm like, what? Look, Australia, where, where Crocodile Dundee from? <laughs> that, that, they, you know, because Crocodile Dundee, that movie was very popular in the late '80s. <laughs> and uh, but I only I only looked at it, you know, envisioned as being, you know as a, a outback sort of place, you know, all of Australia is all outback, you know? <laughs> so right. I was quite quite surprised that, you know, I was like, where, I, I actually asked, asked uh, where, did, where did they actually put the hoops and stuff at, you know? And the, 
out, out in this outback area. <laughs> so, <laughs> so because because I, you know, me being the studious person that I was at the time and still now, I'm very you know very big into reading. I went to my local library and, and, and purchased. No, I think I, I rented out a. Um, I think I might still owe the library money for this, this atlas. <laughs> it might be in the, in the high thousands. You know, you have a not my own. So I, so I looked at I looked up the Brisbane and the atlas and you know saw the uh, the spec you know all the information about it and said wow you know the weather and everything and decided to come on over. And once I got over here, you know I I, I linked up with Derek Rucker, my my. Um, my uh, fellow import, and we, right. you know, we started playing, and we had we had a good season. We had this uh, this other guy who was a pretty good player, old Leroy Logan. Oh, oh gosh, yes. You know, and we we had a really good season, and I was really surprised at the the the, the level of uh, competition, how how uh, high the level of competition was, because you know every team had, you know, superstar players. In my opinion, you know, your Ricky Graces, and of course Andrew Gaze, you know, the um, who who I was probably considered the greatest Australian. To ever um, lace up shoes for this for this country, um, you know him and him and uh, Lauren Lauren um, Lauren uh, he, I mean Lauren uh, Lauren Hill. I'm thinking, I'm thinking music. Lauren um, Jackson. Jackson, of course. Yes, I was. I would consider those two, in my opinion, to be the two greatest Australian-born you know um, players to ever come from these shores, just based off of their their um, accomplishments. And then Leroy, and Leap and Leroy would probably oh. be the greatest import. You know. Uh, barely, barely edging me out. <laughs> <laughs> it was a tight race. Was that the did, role, you, yeah. did you expect that sort of thing? Being a basketball player in the US, that that you'd be playing overseas, is that something basketball players think about when in their well, career? You know, prior to coming here, I already had a taste of um of the of the overseas market. I, I, after my stint with the with the with the Nuggets, you know, being drafted the thirty first pick, and it didn't you know it didn't work out like I wanted to. I immediately got a job over in in uh, Spain. Oh, right. In a beautiful, beautiful place called Valencia, where mm. all the you know the Valencia oranges come from. <laughs> they pronounce it Valencia. And then I I played a year there, had a great great time. And then I, the following year, I went over to uh, France, a place called Tours, France, and played there for a season. That was even even greater experience, you know, being in France. And I um, actually one of my highlights of my basketball career happened in Paris, France. We were playing. Playing the Paris team, and I actually um, was fortunate enough to hit a, a half-court um, prayer to win the game <laughs> against this Parisian Parisian team we were playing against. And I'm you know, being carried off after the game by my teammates. You know, um, you know the whole you know lifting me up. That was that was one of my greatest greatest uh, thrills. You know, for, for, as a basketball player. You Tell know. you what, have been tough for you. Your teammates lift you up. You're about seven foot one, and um, <laughs> yeah, it took a, took a, took a, took a all 15 guys and the coach Andre we talk about like I've said the 90s for me um, that's when I grew up and that's when I got my love of basketball and the NBL was just kicking yeah. off do you see it being similar now do you think the NBL is starting to recapture the glory that it had you know 20 odd years ago Oh man, I watched a few games. Now. I, I I totally agree with you. That 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 magic is coming back and there's one man who I, I give a lot of credit to I'm, I'm, None other than uh, Larry Kesselman. Yes, he's the guy who uh, came in. You know, I think he was uh, with Dodo. Dodo um, with the company Dodo um, Internet Providers. Internet, yep. Internet company. Yeah, he made made his big money in that, and he has he has a love for the game and passion for the game of basketball, and, and um, was able to come in and rescue you know, quite a few teams in the league, and sort of you know prop the league up. You know, and I really you know give him you know ultimate ultimate credit for. Um, Reinvigorating, you know, the the Australian public 
with this beautiful game of basketball. So we got some great talent over here. You know, you, I, I just watched a, a, a video of um, Lamelo Ball versus um, versus the Kansas Taipans. Oh, that game years ago. That was a doozy, and that kid put on a show. <laughs> Andre, you I want to get you. I want to get your thoughts on Australian basketball. Just going through a bit of a change, and they've just uh, moved on head coach. I won't say sucked. They've kind of moved on Andre Lamanis, and they've gone for Brett Brown, of course. Uh, for yeah. listeners who coaches over in the NBA, he coaches the Philadelphia 76ers. He coaches yeah. what's probably Australia's best basketball currently um, overseas in Ben Simmons. Do you support yeah. that move? Do you think it's good to get a big name coach because now Australia wants to get noticed on the big stage? Yes, I, I totally support it, but I, you know, at the same time, I I, um, I was still a big fan of Lamontis. I like his uh, his demeanor on, on the sidelines, and I think he did a great job, you know, um, in his in his tenure. So I wish him, I obviously wish him the best of luck. But bringing on Brett Brown, you know, that's a no brainer. You know, he's going to bring a lot of a lot of uh, experience and uh, credibility to the uh, to the national side, and also his uh, you know lower, lowering some of those um, those those uh, um, NBA caliber strains we have. Um, to yeah. the side, well, that that would be a, a real bonus, but you know, I, you know, Lamont did a great job. You know, he's a great guy, and um, I don't want to downplay you know his um, his contributions to Australian you know the Australian national team. Will so, Australia um, get a medal? Can you just quick guarantee? Will Australia <laughs> get a medal at the Olympics? I wish I could, yeah, but uh, <laughs> I'm a lot of these after this World Cup, um, after this last World Cup, I think a lot of the teams. A lot of the countries are going to be gearing up yeah. even more, mm-hmm. particularly the U.S. You know, they're going to be sending a, a lot stronger side. I think. All right, okay. Tough. But well, they still have a chance. They still have a chance. You yeah. know, if we get all our, our NBA guys as well from uh, Australia uh, to, to uh, put their hands up, I think we'll have a really good chance of meddling, You know, in the uh, in the. Um, 2020 Olympics, yeah. Fantastic. Andre, thank you very much. I'm sure if I let Parker go, we could keep this going for another half hour. But, uh... <laughs> oh, we could, yeah, we could play, talk, we could talk forever, yeah. <laughs> Thanks very much for joining us here on the uh, Summer Edition. No, thank you, man. Great, uh, best wishes to you, all you guys, your family, and um, and uh, early M- Merry Christmas to everybody, to all your, all your uh, listeners, yeah. Yeah, back with the Summer Edition, heard across the Resonate Network, and there's been plenty of talk uh, in the past seven days uh, around Rugby League, a lot of big-name signings, Scott, and I probably expected this a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, we've talked a lot about the Rugby League off-season that never is, because this is where, you know, player transfers, and we get players joining clubs that we didn't expect, and, and mate, we've got another big guest this afternoon, we're joined by Anthony Hook-Griffin. Anthony, how are you, mate? Yeah, I'm good, Scott, how are you, mate? Yeah, go on well. Now, Anthony, you... um. NRL off-season, mate, you just recently were an assistant coach with the all-conquering Tongan side. Mate, how did you find that experience? Yeah, it was brilliant. Obviously, a couple of great wins against um, England and, in particular, Australia. Um, but the group were a really good group. The, the coach, uh, Christian Wolfe, uh, he's from Townsville originally. He, he was actually an assistant coach of mine at the Broncos, so... Um, he rang me up earlier in the year and asked if I'd like to go across and help him um, with the last tour. But uh, I was really impressed with the with the players and their attitude, and in particular their passion for their country. A lot of them have given up uh, an awful lot to to play for Tonga. Um, you know, given up uh, a lot of money and and uh, things like playing for um, you know Origin and New Zealand and Australia and. Uh, so they, they've really channeled that well into their own culture with the team that's together at the moment. And um, while well, we saw the results uh, with the way that um, they played and, and beat, you know, two very good teams in New Zealand and Australia. 
And, mate, as you said, New Zealand and Australia have often been the benchmark in international league over so many years. Is this the best state you, you feel international league's been in? Yeah, it is. It is. And, and I hope the people running the game take advantage of it now. And, and I mean, I'm obviously a proud Australian, so it's a little bit uh, <laughs> of a funny feeling playing against the Kangaroos or being involved in a team that's playing against the Kangaroos. But um, the way the cards have fallen, I think, you know, the Australian side certainly... Nowhere near the team it used to be when they had all the immortals in, or the future immortals in Smith, Cronk, Thurst, and Inglis, all those guys playing for them. Um, you know, they just had to show up and they'd win, whereas now they've come right back to the field. Um, and on, on the other side of that, uh, countries like Tonga have um, benefited from, um, you know, the the election of the of most of the players like Tamalala and Fafita and Michael Jennings and those guys to, to play for their native country and um, I think that's put a real balance now across um, international football. Fiji are big improvers. PNG obviously beat England. Um, and it's been happening for a while and, and, and probably we've all taken a little bit for granted the Pacific nations and um, the growth of the, you know, the Polynesians in our, in our game. Um, and even though it's taken a little bit of time, it's probably now really getting to a point where you know, we've, we've got some countries um, with their act together that, um, as we've seen with Tonga over the last month, they can, they can threaten the rest of the teams in the world. So I think it's great for international rugby league. I just hope the powers that be um, uh, you know, get a, a structured format. Um, the more I learn about test football, I haven't been involved in it until this year, that it's very unstructured. They sort of work from year to year and don't really know who's going to play who, but... I think they've got a they've got a, a model now that they can monetize and market and, and and use to promote the game at the international level if they if they get it right. Now, Anthony, we spoke to you earlier in the year and we asked you to give us some players to watch out for in the twenty nineteen season and you chose a couple of blokes, Dylan Brown and Bronson Cherry. Now they both had reasonable yeah. seasons. Um, so you've done pretty well there. Mate, what did you make of um of the twenty nineteen season? Yeah, I thought it was uh pretty um Predictable. I, I, I don't mean that in a bad way, but and I think the NRL um, is going that way, mate. I, I, I don't see much change again next year. Um, there may be a couple of changes around the middle of the table, but um, the, I think the, the you know the main teams are the main teams again. Um, but I, I thought it was a fantastic season. Um, the thing I th- when I say predictable, I think once it got to the playoffs. No one ever really thought anyone other than you know the mm. the Roosters Storm and you know the top four were yeah. were ever going to be threatened. Um, you know when it came to a grand final, uh, probably the you know the big upset was in the top four where Canberra uh, beat uh, Melbourne in the first week of the playoffs. Um, and and to Canberra's credit, they went on with that then and and, and made the grand final. So underneath that, the thing the, the little concern for me is uh, you know I I never gave anyone a, a, or in my own mind and I think a lot of people in the game gave anyone a chance of, of threatening those teams Manly were extremely brave and, and valiant um, they probably played above themselves whether they can do that again next year um, remains to be seen but they, you know their, their effort was unbelievable but you know Cronulla Brisbane the other um, top eight teams around that uh, time of year they never really Parramatta you know, Melbourne beat Parramatta by 30. 
in a, in a semi-final. No one ever really looked like threatening that top four. So a little bit predictable for me. Re- really good football at the back end of the year. Um, but, uh, you know, for a follower and a person that's been involved in the game, I'm a little bit worried it, it's going to be the same again next year. Okay, we'll uh, take a break and come back with Anthony Griffin a little later on in the summer edition, powered by the Australian Mung Bean Association. Get munging today. It's the summer edition heard across the Resonate Network. Back for the second hour this afternoon. And, boys, I did forget to say, a big country race meeting today at Doombin with the Country Cups Challenge. It's the second running of it. It uh, backs up off the Battle of the Bush. It's great to see bush horses with the chance to win $63,000 first prize. It's a big up from 5000 <laughs> It's quite a significant up from 5000 <laughs> It gets me but, up. Uh, and, and the benefit of it is, too, you're racing against your mates, so... Um, Everyone has to go through the same paths to qualify. And, um, you know, it, it can be for these smaller trainers a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And who is the favourite there, Mr. Watts? Obviously, I'm going to put you on the spot and gamble responsibly, but is there a horse that we should be looking at a bit closer than the oh, rest? Oh, well, look, uh, the race, uh, obviously, full of um, bush talent. Fab's Cowboy, 38 wins in his career. Deadly Choices won seven of his last eight, and the only blemish was second in the Battle of Bush. So plenty there to look at. Um, and this hour... Uh, coming up first, the second interview, uh, second part of the interview with um, Anthony Griffin, Nick. Yes. Now, one of my uh, I met through grudging uh, gritted teeth was uh, Ricky Stewart had a great season with the uh, Canberra uh, Raiders, and uh, talk a bit about that and what's the future looking like for the NFL. And um, uh, our AFL correspondent out here in the West, although he didn't have much to say about his AFL career <laughs> at the moment, Matt Jones, a former work colleague of yours, Scott. Yeah, I think it's amazing you're going to talk about anything but himself. So one of the real stars um, in Rockhampton. Um, well, he does... I tell you what, I started the interview and said, uh, any AFL news? And he goes, you're talking about my career? Yeah, well, that's, it doesn't, I didn't fall off my seat when you told me that. But let's be honest, Matt is one of the great blokes. I mean, the town... He's a lesser town for not having him here, and, and he's been a big loss. But, yeah, he's doing great things. I mean, he talked about the AFL, but he is actually doing some great things in Rockhampton with his football side there. And, uh, Nick, your baby from the stands. Yeah, from the stands. Just the idea, because um, we always know people who uh, know, really know their sport. They're not commentators. They're not ex-players, but they really do know their sports, and they're good to talk to. And uh, this is one of our regulars on uh, 4LG in Longreach. Max Tanks uh, loves the GGs. And uh, loves his rugby league as well. And the summer edition is proudly brought to you each and every week by the good folk at the Australian Mung Bean Association. Scott, for the weekly award. Yep, put the tuxedo on. Now, these are just hotly contested. This is what everyone tunes in for, let's be honest. And can I tell you, it's getting harder to come up with names for these awards. But the first one I've got is the Barcaldine Up the Wrong Tree Award. Now, Barcaldine's about an hour out of Longreach. Great town there. And this is for the club who's maybe sniffing around someone that they shouldn't. Nick. Oh, look. As you know, my, my NRL uh, knowledge is lax. So I've gone for a slightly different approach. I'm talking about the Australian selectors of the cricket team um, for their obsession for the last 15 or so years of getting an all-rounder in. Now, the only, it's great to have an all-rounder, but unless they're Freddie Flintoff or Ian Botham or Imran Khan, uh, you've either got a batsman who can bowl a bit or a bowler who can bat a bit. So you're either weakening your bowling or you're weakening your batting or you're weakening both. And that's what we've been doing yep. for 15 years. They've been barking up the wrong tree, obsessed with getting an all-rounder in. Pick your best players. And Nick, I'll, fo- I'll follow on from that, Nick. I used to think the same thing with spinners. And I would always say you've got a team of four bowlers. Why def- why have to put a spinner in? Mm. 
Yeah. It's your four best bowls that include a spinner. And I mean, we've been lucky with Nathan Lyon. They ripped him as off a groundsman in Adelaide and <laughs> turned him into a 300 plus test cricketer. But have a look at the ones before it. We ruled yeah, yeah. the careers of O'Keefe, Bryce McGain. Yeah. Um, we picked McGill when he was in the evergreen uh, years of his career. So I'm with <laughs> spinners. Yep, spinners in general. Well, I'm going to go the Broncos with their pursuit of Brody Croft. I just think it's. I don't know. So a young half doesn't seem to be the answer. I think we needed experience. And I was really big on Blake Green coming there, um, which I thought would have been an amazing move for the Broncos. A bit of a steady head for what is a very, very young roster. I've got a suspicion that something is going on with Anthony Milford. I know the Tigers have pulled out Latrell Hunt, um, which means he may be leaving the Broncos. And maybe that's why Brodie Croft signed. And maybe the Broncos have another big fish they're going to chase after. But yeah, I don't, don't think Brodie Croft's the answer. I think it just adds to what is already a very young squad. And the second award. Um, now, Kingaroy are famous for their nuts. Um, that's peanuts. And But I've gone with the Kingaroy nutter of the year or, or your favourite nutter yep. of all time. Well, I don't know if he's my favourite nutter of the all time, but I think he's getting away with it is Dave Warner. He's a psychopath. Um, <laughs> well, you heard it here first. Yeah, well, no, look, you'd see him on the cricket field like before all this sandpaper thing. They're trying to turn him into a top bloke. He would be. He was literally being held back from rushing at Bassman, who just got out, by about two or three players. And he'd have his, the veins popping on his neck. And you go, that's insane. And, uh, mm. you know, when he's, he's giving stick to someone about his about his sister. Like <laughs> 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 and, uh, on the show, too. <laughs> yeah. And so I just, think, I just think that guy's got serious, um, I don't know if it's, you know, psychological problems. He's got problems keeping life balance, for sure. I reckon he's an absolute nutter. Nutters. Footballers. What are they going to learn? They're under the microscope. And everything they do is being watched, is being filmed. Um, whether it be the bubbler from Todd Carney, Mitchell Pierce getting close to uh, small animals, <laughs> Doctor Doolittle, you name it, they're idiots. They're nutters. What about Brendan Brendan Favola and the pressure point? Uh. <laughs> That's a Brownlow medley. It's the last, it's the last gig he. Uh, He's ever hosted, but uh, yeah, football, footballers for me. To be fair, he was a big fan of Steven Seagal. I've got Israel Folau. I mean, what oh. a ridiculous amount of time has been yeah. wasted footballer. on him. Yeah, footballer. <laughs> um, let's call him an ex-AFL player. Um, but, you know, he's now demanding $14 million from yeah. the Australian Rugby Union because he thinks he would have become captain of Australia. That was yeah. never going to happen. <laughs> I know. They said Checker went through seven vice captains. He was never one of them. Exactly right. Israel Folau. <laughs> what are you doing, mate? Next week on the show, Israel Flair answers Scott's hard-hitting questions. And the last one... Israel Flair on Greg Clark. <laughs> no, yeah, great show lined up. Uh, and Dave Waters going to approach Nick about calling the soccer back. Now, the next one is the Roma Award. Now, this one's, again, Roma is spelled R-O-M-A, but I'm going Roma is in. Who needs to leave where they are and go somewhere else? Oh, God, that's a good... You have to come back to me on that one. That's a toughie. What's he? Scott, you go first. Well, you know what I want to go? Mine's, I want to go on positive. I think Kara O'Keefe, I think he's wasted on Foxtel. I think he needs to be on free-to-air so that all of Australia can enjoy his anecdotes and just the fresh approach he brings to commentary. A lot of us think Kara O'Keefe is just someone who just has a bit of a laugh, but I can tell you, there is no greater cricketing brain than Kara O'Keefe, and I think his work on the on Foxtel is outstanding. I would love to see him on free-to-air so everyone gets to appreciate what he gets to do. All right, I'm going to go with that. Um, the uh, Australian rugby need to get away from Foxtel, and it looks like Foxtel might be cutting them loose. They need to get back to free and air, just generally get the... Uh, get the uh, Juice inter- is pumping. Interstate games, all the uh, provincial games, Super 10, whatever it is, Super 15, Super Rugby, uh, back on free-to-air. So they need to roam back to uh, just... If it's got to take you know, a money cut, well, it's a long-term investment. Yep. Yeah, I think um, sport on the Gold Coast has got to go roaming. Um, <laughs> both sides absolutely under duress, aren't they? Um, the Gold Coast Suns 
They put all their eggs in the one basket early with Gary Ablett Jr. Uh, he's obviously gone back to Geelong, and now they're getting um, a couple of first-round draft picks. Another, it's just, You're looking at five to seven years, aren't you, with these drafts? And um, well, let's be honest, players that go to the Gold Coast Titans, well, they're, they're going there for their careers to die. Um, yeah, Gold Coast, off the map, move somewhere else. Next week, Latrell Mitchell tells us why he signed to the Titans. <laughs> <laughs> it's the summer edition, heard across the Resonate Network. Back with the summer edition, heard across the Resonate Network, and it's all thanks to the good folk at the Australian Mung Bean Association. And we're back with Anthony Griffin. Now, Scott, we saw a very dominant Roosters this year in, in 2019, didn't we? Well, we did. It's the first side to go back-to-back since the great Brisbane Broncos um, in the early late 90s. So, I mean... They are a great side, mate. I think it was pretty... They shut the door pretty early on. Um, I mean, you called it. I mean, you're one of the few people that said they will do it, and they definitely did, mate. A great performance from the Roosters. And it's got to be said their opponents uh, outdid themselves this year. Hook, you touched on Canberra, and they were fantastic all year and uh, finished in in the grand final. Can you see them uh, repeating that in 2020? Yeah, I can. Emotionally, they... They, they seem to have really found their sweet spot. You, you watch a team sometimes play, and I call a lot of their games live, and um, uh, they just have the, the, you know that energy about them that a team on the up has. It's hard to explain, but they they play for each other. They've got a real um, uh, spring in their step at the moment, a belief. You Looks know, like the, a great the, culture there at Canberra too. A hundred percent, yeah. And, the, you know, whenever anyone... Um, speaks, whether it's the coach or, or the CEO or the players, they're all on the same um, same wavelength in the media, which is another good sign when you when you look at a club from outside in. And they, they've, um, they've certainly potentially still got their best football in front of them, I think. Uh, they signed George Williams, a great Britain um, halfback, who I think uh, is, is a great addition to them, along with um, the players they've already got. Um, backing up, you know, it was a, they they climbed a big mountain this year and fell just short. That's going to be, uh, I suppose, their challenge. But it'll probably also be their motivation. Uh, um, you know, after coming so close against the Roosters, um, so yeah, I, I think you know Ricky Stewart's obviously a great coach, experienced coach. I think they're, you know, they're a genuine top four team again next year. Whether they can they can win the thing, I thought they again they probably overachieved a bit this year. Um, whether they can win it or not, um, you know, I'm, I'm not too sure to be honest. But uh, 
I'm sure they'll be giving it a, 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 a real shake by the end of the year. Now, Anthony, this show's going through Queensland. I'm not going to look back on the year that was Queensland Rugby League. I mean, we lost the origin. Uh, the Cowboys, the Titans <laughs> didn't make the top eight. I don't want to bring up the Broncos because I'm still getting over the absolute thrashing. Look, it was got... a great year to be a Blues fan in <laughs> Queensland, I'll tell you. <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't real good being a Maroons fan. In no, Sydney, not at all. But, but Hook, I don't want to focus on the negative, which was pretty much the whole 2019 season. So let's look ahead. Let's give our listeners a bit of hope. Who's going to be the big improvers in 2020 out of our Queensland sides? Uh, Please say Brisbane. I know it's not going to be. Um, but who, do you, who can you see having a bit of a better year in 2020? Yeah, I, I think the Cowboys, particularly now they've they've signed yes. Holmes. I, I, like I, I'd love to see the Broncos um, be a real, um, you know, top four threat, but I, I just can't. I, I don't think Cross. Uh, nothing against the kid, but you know, Melbourne let him go for a reason. Yes, exactly. Um, right. You know, you don't drop your halfback three weeks out from a playoff series um, for no reason at all. They obviously saw some deficiencies in, the, in his game. And I think, you know, I'm on to Brisbane at the moment, but I think Brisbane have already got deficiencies in the halves. They've been dead and who needs time. Um, and if he's going to be their marquee halfback going forward, I thought they need, if they were going to spend any money, they'd need to spend it on someone experienced that could partner him, not bring in another version of him. But And Blake um, Green was mentioned. I think Blake Green would have been a perfect fit for Brisbane. Well, it's a funny, you know, the off-season, as you, I heard you say that in the intro, there's no off-season anymore. Everyone trades by the week this time of year. You'd be surprised <laughs> how many more trades there'll be before yeah. February, before it all set and set, settles down. So a guy like Blake Green, who's late in his career, um, you might find that it wouldn't surprise me if Brisbane signed him. He's got the same manager that's got about 38 players in Brisbane. <laughs> um, so... You, you can understand where that room is coming from, but if he was to go to New Zealand and say, look, I've got two years left of me and I'm on decent money here, I just want to go back to Australia, and they thought, well, we'll, we'll, we'll bank that money and get on with our future, you could understand why they'd let him go as well because he's, he's closer to the end than the start. Um, you know, even though he's been a great player for them, it'll allow them to, you know, to get back into the market and with a longer term view. So Blake Green would be a great pickup for Brisbane. But when I look at the Cowboys, um, they were extremely disappointing last year. They probably more, they, they were lucky uh, Brisbane took a lot of the focus off them, I thought, um, you know, with the year they had. But for the Cowboys to finish where they did last year, they've got to respond this year. There has to be a response. And the signing of... Um, Ethan Masters, and, and in particular uh, Valentine Holmes, just in the last couple of days, gives them some much-needed strike out wide. Um, you know, Tamalolo and uh, Maguire and McLean, they've got an international forward pack. Um, and Michael Morgan will be uh, will be a lot better. He carried injury for most of the year. So, you know, they've got eight or nine really serious players on their list, um, top-end players, you know, which is different to... To Brisbane, that's why I think the Heat should really be on the Cowboys, not the Broncos. The Broncos are trying to build with a group of young players, but are probably, for mine, getting a little wrong in the way they're, they're actually assembling their list. Um, but, you know, it's, for me, it's more acceptable for the Broncos to finish 8th than the Cowboys 14th or whatever they mm. did. Or, um, so, and, and why I say that with Paul Green... Um, 
you know, being a premiership coach, I'm sure they'll bounce back next year, the Cowboys, and they've got to. And for me, the, the quality and the experience that they have on the list is, is superior to Brisbane, So, um, uh, particularly with those last couple of signings. So I I'd, I'd, I'd think the Cowboys, you know, everything being equal, would bounce back a little bit harder than the other two teams. Now, Hook, uh, over the 2019 season, we heard you across the Western Waves here as part of the continuous call team. How did you uh, find that experience? Yeah, it was a great experience. Um, uh, I did a little bit of it years ago for ABC Grandstand um, when I was at the Broncos as a 20s coach, believe it or not. Um, I, I used to finish the 20s games at the back end of 208 and then go upstairs and, and call with Jerry Collins and Warren Boland in those days. Um so I got a taste for it then, and I really liked it. So then, at the start of this year, um, I happened to uh, live out near Ray Hadley, out in the in the Hills District, and we run into each other a fair bit at the um, at the local coffee shop. And uh, I used to see him when I was coaching Penrith every now and again. And um, uh, so we spoke about doing some radio work. I went in and did a little bit of. Um, I suppose, review or preview in February. And, and yeah, so started the start of the season, went right through, and I really enjoyed it. It's, it's a really good way to watch the footy as yeah. a coach. Um, be, you know, because on radio, you've got to talk the whole time, because I, I, I also did a bit with Fox, but the television's totally different. The, the radio, you've constantly be got to analysing the game and putting that into the into the listeners' um, ears and, 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 you know, trying to paint a picture for them. So um, it, I found it, you know, a lot more um, challenging and, and, and in doing so, a lot more enjoyable. And the guys at 2GB, are, you know, obviously there's some really good guys there and um, Daryl Broman and um, Mark Levy and, and uh, Peggy Riddell, um, you know, Ray himself, you know, they're, they're really good guys to work with. It was yeah. a great, uh, great experience. Anthony Griffin, thanks very much for your time and your contribution to the summer edition heard across the Resonate Network. No worries, guys. Any time. Hey, Hook. Thanks, Eves, mate. Really appreciate it. No worries, boys. Heard across the Resonate Network on 4VL, 4ZR, 4HI, 4LM, 4GC, 4LG, 4SB and Hot Country. And uh, checking in with our AFL correspondent from Rocky, the one, the only, Matthew Jones. Uh, Good afternoon. Uh, what's he fantastic to be on this magnificent program, uh, which I am uh, loving at the moment, listening to it on replay, so enjoying it. Mate, uh, any movements in the AFL? Uh, in terms of uh, in, in terms of trades, etc. Oh, your playing career, how, how are we going? Are we looking forward to 2020? Nah, listen, I'm struggling, Watsy. I, I really am. I've got to the, I'm 35 this year and, and just really struggling with the body. Um, so my career is winding down. But in terms of the AFL, mate, it's a little bit of a quiet period at the moment, Watsy. Um, obviously, the AFL draft's on tonight. And the AFL trade period this year was really quite quiet, which was strange. A lot of clubs held their ground and didn't want to do much. There wasn't a great deal of movement that went around. Um, you know, it, wasn't, it weren't any massive marquee changes of clubs. And it was just a fascinating little period. Yeah, because generally speaking, you see at least one decent signing, but uh, obviously void of that. Um, uh, draft obviously underway tonight. Uh, anything stand out for you? 
not really. It, by all reports, what's the, it's actually it seems as if it's quite a weak draft. Yep. And we know that by the fact that there's a lot of AFL clubs that are trying to offload this year's picks for next year. Yep. Um, they, they obviously seem and deem that there's not a great deal of talent. The two top boys are going to both go to the Gold Coast. Uh, your Gold Coast picked up a priority pick, which I suppose brings in that discussion over the AFL really in damage control, trying to rebuild what has been a disaster on the Gold Coast. The thing is with the draft as well, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's a long-term proposition. The Gold Coast don't need long-term proposition. They need something pretty quickly. Otherwise, they're going to be with the Titans on the bus out of there. Yeah, it's a really good point, and it's an argument that uh, that many are putting forward. They need some quality middle-aged players now. I think the AFL, though, have gone with the approach of, look, what we did at the start didn't work. Let's just load up draft picks and try and follow a greater Western Sydney model, which has worked. Yeah, except now they're seven or eight years behind, aren't they? Exactly, but it's got to be a complete re- reset. Look, what the, they've put so much money into the Gold Coast, it has to work. The AFL need to make this work, and if that means going through a seven-year process, that's what they'll do. Will it ever work? It's a tough, you'd be a, a tough man to say it would happen. I just it's, it shocks me that they never pursued the idea of a, a team in Tasmania. I think it's much more of an AFL stronghold, and I, I think the team probably would have turned out a little bit better. But there's no doubt it would have, Watsy, but I suppose that's, you've just answered your question in what you said. Uh, the AFL probably look at it as if we've got a captive market there on in Tasmania. We've got an audience there. Mm. Do we need to worry about building an audience there? It's a very arrogant way to look at it, but that's certainly the way they've looked at it, whereas they've targeted those growth markets in Western Sydney, which, to be fair, has really been a success, and the Gold Coast, where no really professional sporting club has worked. There is a huge push at the moment, Watsi, for Tasmania to be a sporting, uh, to be the next frontier. And I think those people really deserve it. But, um, you know, I suppose the AFL, as I said, just thought they had that area covered. Another one of your passions, uh, cricket, mate. We're deep into the summer of cricket. And um, a lot of criticism has come. Uh, obviously, we're into day, into the second test now. But uh, the, the criticism came after the Gabba test yielded around 20,000. The the fourth day was under 4,000. <clears> they say strip the Gabba of a test. Now, my look at this is a, is a lot different. My view on this is a lot different. It, it comes down to the opponent. I mean, Pakistan, you look through the 1 to an 11, and the average person wouldn't have a clue who any of them are, except the oldies. They say, oh, Imran Khan's made a comeback. Yeah, I, I, what you said exactly what I've been saying to people around the cafes of Rockhampton. You know, you bring out a rubbish opponent, and let's be honest, they are. They, they don't capture the attention of the Australian public, and they haven't since Javid Mandad was playing. No. Um, and, and you expect Queensland to rock up when you rob them in the you know, last year of having India. Um, I think it's an absolute... I, I, you know, I, I, I can see the point of the local person from Queensland not wanting to be there. Um, you know, in saying that, I thought the test... There were some signs there of, of some really exciting cricket. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what transpires over the summer. I think New Zealand, after their win in England, could could pose a, a decent challenge. Yeah, look, New Zealand have an elite bowling attack and one of the best batsmen in the world. Um, so I, I can't wait for that. But it, isn't it disappointing that you know the people of uh, Queensland haven't been able to see this as their test? So I just think yeah. it's, it's incredibly disappointing. 
there's some exciting times for Australian cricket. What do you agree? Oh, definitely. But in the net, my next question is. I remember 2003, I think, was the year, and I sat up the top row of the Gabba yep. and watched the first international T20 in, in Queensland. And uh, I remember leaving the stadium after Australia defended 93 or something yeah. like that and uh, shook my head and thought, well, this won't, this hasn't got a future. Down, now in uh, 2019 and beyond, we're talking about 10-10 games and one Chris Lynn scoring 93 on his own in 36. How far has the game come and what's the future looking like? Yeah, I hate it. Uh, I hate it, Watson. Um, look, I'm not a 2020 cricket fan, and, and I haven't been from the start. I understand how it can capture the attention of, of the general cricketing follower, but what's next? Are we just going to have the toss and that'll do? <laughs> um, you know, I just, you know, for me, and, and it was shown last year, last summer, Australian people, I think, maybe getting a little bit bored of the 2020 yep. format. You know, for me, even though the crowds were down at the Gabba, give me test cricket. The ebbs and flows. The, the true, very, the, the test nature of it all, mate, this 10-10 stuff. Look, that might suit you at the RSL playing the birdcage. <laughs> but look, that doesn't, that doesn't uh, you know, surely not. Surely we, um, that can't be where we're heading. Oh, you'd hope not. You can have a tri-series in an in afternoon. Well, I'm going to bring this to the table, and, and this is a, maybe it's a, a topic for another day. I don't want to be too controversial here. But, mate, I tell you, I think that, it's, it's fascinating. I'm doing a lot of coaching in this part of the world with junior kids, and I'm, I'm concerned about where we're at in terms of young cricketers and building techniques being bred on this 2020 cricket format. Well, have a look. Have a look a at a, have a look at a test match. How, how how often does it reach five days? Well, very rarely. And it's interesting to note the players that are really stacking up at the moment. Manus Labuschagne, outstanding technique. Um, I'm just I'm concerned that we're not teaching our kids how to bat time and how to yep. build solid techniques, and that is dead set through 2020 and now 10 over cricket. It's a concern, mate. And or Jeff Thompson, I said this last week on air. Jeff Thompson um, coaches a bowling team who bowled to one Adam Voges, and in one net session got him out 13 times, and Voges didn't care. He just did, yeah. next one reverse sweep, next one slog sweep. They don't, you know, even as kids, we didn't want to get out in the nets. Yeah, it's ludicrous. I mean, it's, um, you've, still got to, you've still got to have a solid technical base. David Warner still has a solid technical uh, base to build on before we start playing all these shots. So just something I've been thinking about over the last few weeks, in particular doing some coaching. It's, it's, it's interesting times for cricket. Jonesy, great to catch up, and we will do, we'll do again throughout the summer here on the Resonate Network. Let's get mungin. <laughs> it's the summer edition heard across the Resonate Network, 4LG, 4HI, 4SB, and even hot country, Nick Backstrom. Well, this is From the Stands, is where we like to check in with uh, sports fans who may not be uh, ex-sports people of note or uh, commentators, but they still uh, know their uh, horse racing from their rugby league, and uh, no man better than this man, Max Tanks. <laughs> and Max Tanks, obviously uh, a local 4LG celebrity as well as on the bit. Good afternoon, mate. Yeah, good afternoon, fellas. Glad, uh, thanks for having me. Hey, Max, it's Parco here. How are you? Good, mate. How are you? Yeah, going well. Now, Max, I want to start with the first question. Now, you grew up in Longreach, um, and growing up in Longreach, obviously in central Queensland, you've got the Titans uh, down south, you've got the North Queensland up to the north, you've got the Broncos in there too. Why do you go for the Storm? Well, Titans probably weren't around then when I started to go for Storm, obviously. <laughs> but, um, 
and who would go for the Titans anyway? No offence to any Titans fans out there, but um, you know it's probably one of those things. I think they they when you know when they entered the comp in 1998, won their first premiership in 1999. I was only five and four years old at the time then, and you know for I suppose lack of better term, I jumped on the bandwagon straight away with a, with a winning team. So you know that first sort of age, I was exposed to be able to probably choose a football team and. And the rest is history, I guess. That's fair enough, Max. I hopped on the uh, Carlton bandwagon back in the <laughs> 70s, much in the same way. Just letting you know, there may be a lot of pain in your future. <laughs> Nick's, Nick's then hopped off. Max, um, do you find, just on that, like I find, you know, teaching kids, a lot of kids now follow the players. I know in basketball, there's a lot of, a lot of player movements. So you get kids who follow teams because of the players on them. Do you find that as well? Is that is that kind of your situation? You really like the players on the Storm? So as opposed to geographically... You went with a bit of the stars at the time. No, it was more just the, the fact that apparently I liked that you know the emblem, the little bloke holding the storm, the <laughs> lightning bolt, and the fact they won a premiership. But you know, Storm have lost a lot of you know star players in the past, and Cooper Cronk, Greg Inglis, Israel Folau, uh, and Matty Orford. Even though, you know, if we go right back. Um, and you know, there's never been that lure to change teams. Um, I never see I you backing any Mike Moroney horses. Yeah, well, <laughs> there is a couple of those Ballymore horses that get around. <laughs> now, Max, you talked about the Storm winning premierships. I'm guessing these are the ones they actually got to keep with the salary cap scandal. <laughs> now, with that, obviously, that's a pretty dark time. And I'm not. I don't want to, you know, throw make light of the situation. Did that do anything to deter you from the Melbourne Storm, or like the actual Storm themselves? Did that kind of galvanise you? Because I mean, the way they responded, you've got to give them credit. They responded beautifully with a premiership the year following their their stripping of their other premierships. No, and I mean, like, you know, the season that they did get stripped of everything and they were playing for nothing that year, I mean, I suppose it, it spoke, you know, wonders of, of the culture there at Storm and that they didn't throw the towel in for the year and get sooky and do nothing about it. You know, I think they still would have finished in the top four or something that year. Um, which, I mean, you know, having nothing to play for, I think that's a huge effort. Um, and I suppose it probably did galvanise that, that uh, love for the team there. And, you know, once everything did start coming out and you could see just how hurt the players were, like, I mean, they didn't ask for that sort of thing to happen. I mean, sure, there might have been some dodgy books, and, and but a lot of those players were really young. I mean, Greg Inglis, he was only, what, 20, 21 or something at the time. But I was 20 or 21, sure, I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to question you know, some of the things being thrown at me, but at the same time, they say, oh, it's just third-party agreements. Um, here's a boat, like, and, and straight away, that's fine. I always said Willie Mason. He was one did wonders up there at Campbelltown, Westfield, serving kebabs. <laughs> he played for the Bullets. But how about you know how it was dealt with? They were playing for for zero points for the year, boys. Was there any other way that that could have been handled? I mean, as you said, Max, there are a lot of young players playing for nothing, and they did hold their heads high. But was there another way that could have been dealt with? I'll start with you, Scott. I don't think so. I, th- I think what they did was systematic cheating. It yep. was there's no other word to use it. I mean, it, let's just face it, their accountants aren't as good as the Broncos because we've been accusing <laughs> for for many years. But I think what they were doing, Watsy, was was disgusting. I mean having two sets of books and you know, whether the players knew or not, um, I was very I think the coaches knew. I think everyone kind of just had like some idea. Like, sandpaper. like Cameron Smith, you know, doing interviews and goes, Oh my laundry's ready with the dollar signs on the front. So <laughs> I mean I, I thought it was I don't think there's any more appropriate punishment than what they got. I mean taking premierships off a team, I mean that to me doesn't really work so well because it doesn't really add the premierships 
onto the team that lost them. So to mm. me, that's a bit of a you know a bit of a grey area. But in terms of playing for no points, I mean, I thought it was just deserved. Nick, Nick? Yeah, I think you're right. Um, the rugby has just gone through something similar in England with the Saracens, the best team over there, just been done for salary cap. They got stripped. I think they're 22. They started the season more or less 22 points in the negative. Yeah. So I think that's the right idea. At least that gives them something to play for. Uh, in that English case. And I think, as you say, full credit to the Storm for still playing, you know, full-hearted games. And Maxie? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I look at it the perspective that, you know, they, they copped those huge fines. We had to cut a heap of players mid-season. Um, I think if we were under the salary cap, I, I don't understand why we couldn't have played for points that year. Um, sure, strippers of the points that, you know, we would have got up to that point if we were over the salary cap then. But once they were under the salary cap, I don't see no reason why they shouldn't have. And, you know, going forward after that, I mean, Sharks have been done for salary cap since, Manly, Eels, and they've all sort of been swept under the rug. Maybe it's not up to the same sort of, um, I suppose, degree, but they're still being done of being over the cap at the time. But we haven't seen anything like that since of being deducted points to that extent, uh, playing for no points, the fines. Um, yeah, I, I, I just think, you know, it's probably one of those things where they were a victim of the, of the success during that time. Um, and yeah, I suppose, you know, at the end of the day, sure, they, they did do something wrong, but yeah, I, I just think the, the way it's been handled going forward since with the amount of salary cap that still happened, I, I, I just can't see any consistency in what happened. So Max, just um, just to introduce our, our listeners to yourself, you are the strongest man in Longreach, you are the beard that feared. Um, if you ever go to Longreach Gym, uh, Phoenix Fitness, you'll just see Max lifting ridiculous amounts of weights. Before you were the strongest man in Longreach, you're one of Longreach's great cricketers. So Max, I want to ask a cricket question. Where do you see the game of cricket in 20 years? I mean, last week we spoke about these T10s, um, so even shorter form of cricket. Do you see cricket getting shorter and then losing the, the test matches? Is that is that what the future holds for cricket? I hope not. I mean, I, I personally am not a fan of the, the T20 format. Uh, I think it's got a place probably at state level with the Big Bash. I think that's great. But, you know, if there's a 2020 match, an international one, I probably don't take as much interest as um, I suppose a lot of people do. You know, I, I am a diehard for the, for the original test cricket format. Um, I think there's nothing better than sitting down for five days and, and watching a you know a game that that can go right down to the wire I mean, and and they do and and you know to to quote someone i read on facebook the other day you know you, you go through four days of of um four days of foreplay before a climax on the fifth day <laughs> <laughs> sounds like scott's weekend <laughs> hey baxi um obviously back to rugby league we'll skip back to this and um the exit of Brody croft and, and he's off to the broncos um, you two boys were quite animated about this uh, on local radio, or you both weren't in the studio, but uh, <laughs> your thoughts about the Croft exit and obviously the Croft signing? Yeah, I, I've been pretty vocal of my of my opinion of Croft throughout, I suppose, I think it'd be two seasons now. I, I, I don't think he's the right position there at Storm. I, I think he's probably too structured. He's probably trying to mould his game off Cooper Cronk too much. And as a result, you're seeing a lot of... Um, you know, a lot of stops in in attack where he gets the ball and then he sort of just doesn't know what to do. Then he, he's just got the play in his head rather than playing what's in front of him. And I think that was reflective in the fact that Jerome Hughes, in his six games at halfback towards the end of the year, he uh, got more try assists, more uh, forced dropouts, more line break assists than Brodie Cross was able to manage across 22 games for the entire season. So uh, I personally think it's, it's great that he's... Um, He's been able to head off to better pastures up there, up here in Queensland. Um, I don't think he's probably the right suit for Milford. I think Milford's probably need someone with, 
oh, I don't know, it probably can take a lot more control than Brodie Croft can, I think. Brodie <laughs> Croft doesn't have that sort of, uh, I don't know, like he, he doesn't have that sort of power on the game yet to be able to take control, and I can't see him be able to develop that up with Brisbane. But in terms of the Storm, I think it's great that we've got Riley Jacks back down there now on a trial and train deal. Um, I thought he was great when he was with Melbourne before he left, and and, and I do think he could probably fill that seven position Um at least for the meantime, until we can try and get something like Cooper Johns been able to come through there. I think he's been going absolute guns for Sunshine Coast Falcons. Um, and I suppose going forward from that succession plan after Cameron Smith, I mean, Harry Grant and Brendan Smith, they've both been signed for long-term deals on, you know, not overs in price either. And, and I think Storm's got a really bright future there. Well, I want to put you on the spot here, Max. The Melbourne Storm, I mean, the team that people like myself are always waiting to go out the back door and, <laughs> and you know, suddenly the decline to start... I'm going to put you on the spot, Max. Look in your crystal ball. Will the Melbourne Storm win a premiership in the next five years? Well, it's, it's, I think it's hard because next year is probably our year if we're going to do it. It's the last year of Cameron Smith, and I think we are going to go into a rebuilding phase. And I don't know how long that'll take. I don't know whether it'll be you know three years or whether it'll be five years, but it is probably going to dry up a little bit there, and that success probably won't be around. But I suppose we've been saying that for you know since. Billy Slater retired since Cooper Cronk left. You know, yeah. the year Billy Slater got injured. We've been waiting for it to happen for quite a while now. And I suppose it is slowly starting to happen, but it's not happening to the, to the you know, the degree that we've expected. So as far as I'm concerned, we can keep riding them off at our own peril because, <laughs> you know, they, they do have that sort of great coaching staff down there. Jason Rolls, you know, they're, they're talking big things about him. He's there as the assistant coach. Um, you know, you look at all the other assistant coaches that they've produced out of the storm that have, have gone on to big guns as well. So... I think they've got the, uh, the I suppose, the corporation down there that can put the right people in play to have the, uh, that success continue long term. And what's the other thing that's really interesting if the Storm don't have success, the future of, of the Melbourne Storm in Melbourne? I mean, they're not exactly getting the crowds through the gates at the moment, and without a successful product, it will be very interesting. But, yeah, very insightful, Max. Maxie, thanks very much for your time this afternoon and contribution to the summer edition. You're a big fan of the Mung Bean? I am. Let's get Mung in. <laughs> Four. <laughs> it's the summer edition across the Resonate Network. It's the summer edition uh, heard across the Resonate Network, and that just about wraps up uh, today's edition. Big thanks to the Australian Mung Bean Association, who powers every edition, and you can catch us up on Facebook on the Summer Edition Queensland Facebook page. Jump on and like it for all the latest in sporting news. Thanks to Pam O'Neill, Dan Russell from the Cowboys, uh, Anthony Hook Griffin, Andre Moore, Max Tankson, as well as that Piggy Jones. Uh, Parco, before we part company for this afternoon... What have well, you got for it? Well, my year, my sporting year this year has been nothing but consistent. I've lost every single final that I've played in. Well, they're tennis. calling you the Great White Parkinson. They are. In <laughs> fact, on the tennis boards, they've got my name right there with a little shark next to it. The biggest <laughs> choker in sport. And um, I've had a lot of seconds. I've come second a lot this year. And I just wanted to know, who are our great sporting bridesmaids? The people that can't quite get the win, but they're always finishing outside of it. Well, you, you've preempted me there. I was going to go with Greg Norman. I just remember uh, back in the, it would have been the 90s, a friend of mine's old man said, his two great heroes were Greg Norman and Uncle Arthur from the uh, comedy company. And he said, obviously Norman's the best golf, better golfer. He goes, on the other hand, you look at their major records, he's only got two. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, so uh, he had a lot of promise, a very good golfer. He just couldn't uh, close it on the majors for whatever well, reason. Let's be, let's be honest, boys. Is coming second really such a problem? Uh, not, no, no. Well, no, of course not. I mean, yeah, it's like uh, I've got I mean, a, I've got a, I'm, I'm the second best in the world. What a disappointment! Yeah, what a disappointment. And um, Greg Norman in his time, I think he dro- 
you can uh, pedal a couple of boats around. That's and, right. Um, you know, I mean, the money they earn, who cares? If you're running 10th, you're getting a good paycheck. <laughs> Great rig. <laughs> but, um, yeah, what about you, Scott? Mine's, um, mine's Stewie McGill. I mean, I oh, think he's yeah. a guy who probably, if Shane Warne's not there... He's probably Australia's greatest ever bowler. I mean, we talk about great bowling partnerships of McGrath and Warren. I think it could have easily been McGrath and McGill. And I've done a little bit of research. Uh, McGill only played 44 tests for Australia. Got 208 wickets with a strike rate average of 29.02. And you compare that to Shane Keith Warren, who played 145 games and took over 700 wickets. And his strike rate was only a little bit um, better at a 25.41. So Stuart McGill, very close to Shane Warren, but obviously not seen anywhere near Mm. the same class. So I think Shuey McGill, bad luck he was born at the same time as Warney. Great use and of stats. I want you to weigh in here, Scott, uh, this year's bridesmaid, and you always look for them to go one better next year. And I talk about the Canberra Raiders, and we spoke about it with Anthony Griffin. Just your thoughts briefly before we go. Um, you know, a lot of good purchase at a cheap price. Um, they, they build their own ship down there as well with Great Britain Imports. Can they go one better in 2020? No, I'm going to rule them out now, mate. I'm, um, I'm going to say no. I think they've lost a few. Aiden Caesar's headed off. He's headed over to England. Ricky uh, Stewart joins us next week on the summer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it explains why. Uh, Jordan Rapana, they've actually lost a few players in their grand final side. Um, they've picked up the young centre from the Storm, Curtis Scott, who I think is a great addition. But, yeah, mate, the, the Canberra Raiders, they're about as consistent as a fart in a breeze. I just don't see them backing up. They usually go well one year and go poor the other. They'll be in the eight, but no, mate, they won't win the grand final next year. It'll probably be the Roosters again um, or a team from Brisbane. A three-peat for the Roosters. That's a summer edition uh, across regional Queensland on the Resonate Network. What's he signing out for another week? And we'll catch you again next Saturday from 3pm. And it's all thanks to the Australian Mungbean Association.